This is an ABC podcast. Hi, Damien Carrick here. We've all heard the term sovereign citizens, people who don't believe the law applies to them. But how much do we really know about this group and how they impact the courts? Well, when New South Wales Magistrate Mark Douglas was asked by the state's Judicial Commission to write an article about sovereign citizens, he thought he'd consult his fellow magistrates. So at two recent conferences, he surveyed his colleagues about their interactions with this group. Mark Douglas, welcome to The Law Report. What is a sovereign citizen? A sovereign citizen is someone who claims sovereignty within uh, a certain community. It's a problematic name because the two concepts don't fit together. For the purposes of talking to you today, it'd be more appropriate probably to refer to them as pseudo-law practitioners or um, pseudo-lawyers, etc. They're often called in, in the popular parlance sov-sits, aren't they? Yes, that's correct. I think it'd be do an injustice to the courts if, if there was a stereotyping of, of a group. Well, it is a complex picture. And acknowledging also that they form a subset of self-represented litigants. These days, what percentage of people who appear in a local court are self-represented? The exact numbers are rubbery because it changes from court to court. In relation to New South Wales, there's approximately 170 courts that are active and depending where you are, that may determine how many self-represented litigants there are. But I'd put it as high as um, 30 40%. Now, Magistrate Mark Douglas, you have been conducting research among your fellow New South Wales local court magistrates. Tell me, what have you been asking them? Firstly, how often they're dealing with sovsits, for want of a, a phrase, um, and the answers you're getting back, or the answers I've got back are quite surprising. What have you found? Of the, say, 50 regional magistrates, there are at least five courts that in the last six months have dealt with over 30 sovereign citizens. Now, I think you have to understand the local court, to put that in context. We often deal with lists of 60 matters. That's common. That's 60 matters we have to finalise or deal with. In a day. Uh, in the allotted five hours. In relation to that, um, more common is a list of 80 people and not uncommon, lists of 100, 110, 120. So when you have people who want to say that the jurisdiction doesn't apply, it becomes quite tedious for the magistrate who's trying to manage best they can everyone's rights and interests. And... You asked the magistrates in, in this survey that you gave to them at a conference of, of regional magistrates, you asked them what impact do these arguments have on the courts and what did they tell you? An overwhelming majority of magistrates said that um, the pseudo-legal arguments are blowing out their lists, they're taking three or four times as long as what a normal matter would take to complete. Now that has to be put in context that a sovereign citizen or a pseudo-legal argument 
will be challenging the jurisdiction. So they're all founded on pleas of not guilty in a subset of matters that would normally be resolved by way of a plea. And I'm talking about, I I think about 80% to 90% of those matters would be uh, finalised by way of plea. We're talking about low-grade speedings, parkings, some trespasses, uh, some drive with illicit drug present. Driving without a licence? Yes, that that's a very common one because the pseudo or the solvcit would suggest that they've opted out of any compliance with government regulations, that's rates, laws, etc. The argument being that the law doesn't apply to me, I'm separate from this nation state. Yes, that's correct. What about... And, and we'll come back to the arguments that these people run in a moment, but I just want to concentrate first on the survey results that you got from your fellow magistrates. Yes. What did they tell you about what happens post-finalisation once uh, a matter has been finalised in the court? There are a number of magistrates who are being contacted after a matter has concluded by way of registered mail, mail, and there are several magistrates being sued by the sovereign citizen. Are you able to speak to your own experience here? Yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm presently uh, being sued by a sovereign citizen, I think uh, $10 million. Mind you, there's no court stamps or seals on any of the documents. Apparently, they have their own legal framework and they're trying to sue within that own legal framework. They have, they have their own sheriffs, etc. Okay, so just to clarify, somebody said, I'm very displeased with the way you handled my case. I'm suing you for $10 million, but hasn't actually lodged any papers in the A Australian court. New South no. Wales court system. No, there's uh, one magistrate who's being sued in America, apparently, and there are others who there's warrants being issued for their arrest within the pseudo-law metaplex. Right. Some kind of a sort of cloudy parallel legal system which yes. has been set up. What about complaints to, say, judicial complaints bodies? Do sovereign citizens form a significant component of people who come forward to those very important bodies, absolutely important bodies? Yes. Just firstly and foundationally, um, 50% of legal complaints to New South Wales Judicial Commission are filed by self-represented people. It's around 50%. And that was the reason I started looking, or Judicial Commission asked me to start looking at writing a paper. Of late, I'm told, and I'm, say, the last six months, judicial complaints have increased by 20 to 30%. And a lot of those are filed by sovereign citizens. And how do those complaints tend to be handled by the New South Wales Judicial Commission? If people say, I'm complaining because this magistrate should never have heard my case, he or she had no jurisdiction to hear my matter. I'm, I'm probably not the person to talk to about that. It's, it's handled independently and generally the magistrates are not consulted other than notified. Um, and Judcom thoroughly goes through all of the complaint. They'll listen to the recorded. All court process in New South Wales is recorded, has to be by law. 
Um, they'll listen to the tapes. They'll make their own mind up without asking for a contribution from the magistrate. Generally, my understanding is that, of course, the pseudo-legal argument complaints are generally dismissed. Okay, so this is the research you've been doing. You've been talking to your fellow brother and sister magistrates. Let's now talk about the kinds of arguments that sovereign citizens run. I understand that a lot of people come to the court and they, they argue about their name. Yes, yes, they do. I think their foundational argument is that someone is born a natural, physical, living human being. And then the government attaches to that person a birth certificate number, probably a Medicare number. And as they go through life tax numbers and various things, the sovereign would argue that they are the natural living person that's been born. They are not and don't accept the name that they've been given or any commitments or anything attached with that particular name. So all the, if you like, architecture which recognises that person in government institutions or, or in corporations or anything else, they see that as some kind of artificial construct. Yes, created by the government. Created by the government, and they are separate from that because, what, they haven't acquiesced to, to the authority or, or given permission for that structure to have been built. That's very accurate. Founded on that argument that there's this dual identity and they don't accept, they then, there's a quantum leap to contract law. And they say that, in fact, without agreement, they're not contracting to uh, all the obligations that are filed or, or attached to that birth certificate name. And hence, you will, going back to the original question, you'll have names that are similar but changed by way of capitalisation, question marks, living person stuck in the middle, or they're of a certain shire which is attached, hyphenated to their last name. So, excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Magistrate, I'm not John Smith. I don't recognise that name. I am Smith of the Shire John or something yes, like that. Is that correct. what you're telling yeah, me? Exactly uh, what we encounter. So what legal foundations do they point to for this kind of approach? There are many, and many documents they refer to. They generally get to the point where they say our constitution is a nullity, and therefore state laws don't apply, council laws don't apply, they don't have to pay rates if they own a property. Um, they use... A lot of law from America, there's quotes from the Bible, there's the Magna Carta, the Charters of Rights 1297, um, the Petition of Rights 1627, and these are all documents that are filed with the court, even in criminal matters, which I'm often surprised at and perplexed in some regard, because in criminal matters you don't make, rarely make filing directions but for the prosecution. Is it true that sometimes sovereign citizens will submit sort of three, four hundred page documents to the court 
uh, and say, look, read these before I appear in court because um, th- this will spell out my argument. Yes, correct. Yeah, um, you've done your research, Damien. Matters will generally start, you'll pick up a file and it might be a parking fine and there might be 300 pages on it in an envelope and you, you start to suspect that it's going to be pseudo legal arguments. And, and this is one of the 60 to 80 matters that you have to deal with every day. Yes. Um, so you, you're not reading the three, 400 pages of argument which really have no absolutely no bearing on the, the legal issues at hand. Well, there's a, there's a couple of legal issues there. One is it's a criminal matter and you should not accept material from the defence without it being filtered through the prosecution. Firstly, the touchstone of what happens in court is relevance. And I generally look at a prosecutor and will say, is that material relevant? And I think most prosecutors will take the break maybe and and, uh, have a look at it and come back and say it's not relevant. Then the court will have to scan it and say, look, um, it's not relevant under the Evidence Act. Can you tell me about your experience, some of your experiences with this kind of litigant? What do you do on a day-to-day basis when when, when these people come in? It's in the context of our courts being extremely busy. First thing you'll notice is the, the number of papers on the file. And then you may have a litigant who doesn't want to enter close to the bar table. They'll stand at the back of the court and yell towards you. And and firstly, that's problematic because I've already indicated all of our proceedings are recorded. So that's the first issue you have to deal with. Now, that's tied with admiralty law. And that's an argument that if they come forward, it's a joinder and they're accepting the contract and therefore they're bound by the names. But if they don't enter your wheelhouse, and that's as simple as it gets, they're not bound and they'll they'll try to run the proceedings from standing at the back of court. So then you have the issue of them denying that they are the person that is on the court papers. So it, it's it's problematic. It's problematic, uh, time-consuming... The outcomes for these people when they put these arguments, are they better or worse than not putting the argument? What happens to these people once they put these arguments? Well, uh, I think uh, David Halprum, former magistrate and now a dean of uh, a university, rightly points out that he's not aware of any sovereign arguments being successful at any level in any court in New South Wales. So it is perhaps frustrating for magistrates, judges, justices to then encounter someone who is quite... Generally, some of them can be quite forceful and quite passionate about their view uh, of the law. And sometimes it... (laughs) It's founded on what they think the law should be, uh, but it's definitely not what the law is. You're listening to The Law Report. Today, a fascinating conversation with New South Wales Magistrate Mark Douglas about sovereign citizens. Mark Douglas, can you describe for me the interaction you have when you speak to a sovereign citizen and say, I'm sorry, your arguments hold no water in this court? When you engage them... They follow the the script that's uh, in front of them. They're they're quite dogmatic. They can't be diverted. 
it's almost like they have tunnel vision. They're not there to listen. They're there to tell you how the law should be. Um, quite problematic to deal with them. And do you have a spiel that you try to deliver to shift their thinking? Uh, no, I, I just um, deal with them as they are on the day and I, I think that's the, the best approach other than they must obey my directions. If I ask them to stop talking and they don't, I'll give them a warning and say, I control this court, you must stop. And a lot of them will just keep ploughing into why the Constitution's a nullity or why they're the, the, the human uh, version of themselves. Um, and then they'll get another warning, then I'll ask them to go to the back of the court. If they don't respond then for court safety, I generally uh, ask them to leave the court. And how often do you have to do that? The last two I've had, I've, I've had to take that particular course because magistrates are in control of court safety and where you start to have someone who is not obeying simple commands, it becomes a problem in my view. There's no scanners on a lot of country courts, metal detectors and various things. So you start to think, okay, everyone in this court, I'm responsible for their safety. Um, and I take that very seriously. And it's one way to to try and impose is the wrong word, but to just let the person know that, that they don't control the proceedings the court does. Okay, so if you're a sovereign citizen and you said, I refuse to pay this parking fine, uh, you do it once, you do it twice. The legal consequences of that approach to the state and to the courts, that's going to have implications for how you're dealt with by the courts. So you might yes. be in a worse... I mean, the, the courts will have to come down hard on you in a way they might not have otherwise. Legally, they're not entitled to a discount, which many are entitled to, and it can be as high as 25% for a plea. A plea of guilty. First available opportunity, yeah, a plea of guilty. Secondly, there is no remorse and no contrition and given that magistrates, judges, we have to focus on um, those aspects and reoffence. Now, if someone's not remorseful, not there's no contrition, um, I, I think the courts will lean more towards punishment as a deterrent, a specific and general for those offenders. They do themselves a great disservice. And sadly, Damien... When one pulls back the curtain, a lot of this information is purchased online. It is not just a group of people who, by chance, stumble onto um, a legal remedy. Okay, so, so tell me about this. How, in your view, how organised are sovereign citizen litigants? And, and tell me about the, the commercial aspect, I think, is your, what you're suggesting here. I think they're fairly random, in a sense, their submissions to the court are verbose, not focused. They do have that core belief in relation to uh, government authority is Ill illegitimate. But my view is the more I look into it, the more there are some people selling this information. 
What, what do you mean? Kits or packages on, yeah. on how to run litigation using sovereign citizen arguments? Is that what you're telling me? There's written material. You can buy a package. There's online webinars. And I'm, I heard a rumour that there is even a uh, SovSit training camp. Right, so people can go to uh, kind of uh, seminars or, or camps to learn how to do this. Yeah, it's for not for free. It's not for free. And I, I have some empathy now that I've looked into it for a lot of the people that come before the court and run these arguments. And I believe that they feel that there is some foundation and merit to what they're saying, but there's not. And I, I think they've been sold a pup, whatever phrase you you wish to use, but I I think they've been misled in relation to the arguments that they're putting to the court and their validity. Do you know, has anyone investigated or sought answers from the people who you say are commercialising this belief system? I'm unsure of that in relation to how far those inquiries are being pushed. I mean, as a basic rule of contract, I mean, (laughs) they could sue the person who sold them the information, but they'd have to use legitimate means. But they'd also have to believe that they had not been told the truth. And if you believe, if you subscribe to the belief system and have a poor outcome, then you're not going to blame the person who equipped you to, to fight the good fight. Yes, Yes. So it's very interesting. Do some of these people who, in your view, sell these packages or provide this support, do they come actually to court with the people who are appearing before you? I've never had a sovereign matter, and I've already explained for want of a better phrase, without one or two people with them. So I'm unsure whether they get a package deal if they pay a bit more the author will come and help them. But they do have a pit crew when they come to court and there's generally someone giving the person standing in court somewhere, whether it's in the dock or back in the seats. Do you see the same faces? I haven't, but I'm, I move around a fair bit so I don't get that opportunity. Mark Douglas, I'm wondering how much of an increase in this kind of sovereign citizen activity corresponds to the COVID epidemic and COVID restrictions, the, the, the lockdowns, the, the mask wearing or vaccination requirements. What do you and your fellow magistrates see in terms of that connection? I can say there has been an increase since COVID whether it's the link there or not, um, people can draw their own conclusions. But my view is there has been a very sharp rise in relation to pseudo-legal arguments in New South Wales courts. A sharp rise? Yes, most definitely. As I go back to that original study, there's 50 magistrates who have dealt with three, 400 matters in the last six months. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there's been a very sharp rise. I think Mike Burgess, uh, the ASIO Director-General, mentioned the threat of sovereign citizens. He used that term in his 2022 threat assessment speech. He said, quote, Some of the alleged violent acts at the old Parliament House protest are a case in point. The individuals involved were driven by a diverse range of grievances, including anti-vaccination agenda, conspiracy theories and anti-government sovereign risk, sovereign citizen beliefs, end quote. 
Do you have a view about whether there are any risks or dangers associated with the growth of this belief system? I think there is, whether it's higher than the percentage of the population that would pose a risk anyway, I'm unsure. You'd have to speak to perhaps an academic or a psychologist. But yes, I I think it can founder fanatical thought, uh, fixated thought patterns amongst those who are perhaps vulnerable um, when exposed to it. And what sorts of responses are we getting from courts and from authorities to the kinds of risks you're talking about? I think the courts, and it's not a criticism, I I think in some regards we're we're playing catch-up. The sheriffs of New South Wales have been very good in relation to their response and generally someone who runs pseudo-legal arguments, the sheriffs will be notified to to do some form of assessment, perhaps. Now, the sheriffs, tell me exactly what, what is their role? They're in charge of court security, and generally most courts now, not because of pseudo-legal arguments, just generally are there to make sure that the court environment is safe, for want of a better phrase. We must acknowledge that there might be risks with certain litigants, yes. but, but, but sovereign citizens are a much bigger group than that, and, yes. and, and, and the overwhelming majority of them do, do not fall into and, it. And I, I have empathy for, for a number of them. I think they've, they've been exploited by people who are selling uh, legal advice, and it's, it's not good legal advice. So what's the solution here? What What's the way forward to deal with these people? Probably not to stereotype them. It's always important for judicial officers to deal with every matter that's before it independently. Um, with respect? Yes, with respect, dignity. It, it, it's everyone that comes in court, Damien, it's a very important day for them. Very important, and I always recognise that when I'm sitting, whether it's a parking fine, whether it's speeding, whether it's large commercial drug sale, it's an important day for them. And I, I think courts, to maintain their reputation, must be seen as being fair and being good listeners. So it would be wrong to pigeonhole uh, any group. Um, I, I think with a good fair legal response, I think hopefully the word will filter through the communities that that this A, is going to cost you some money, B, it might damage your reputation. You may end up with a criminal conviction that you might not have uh, had you perhaps not run uh, pseudo-legal arguments. And criminal convictions these days can be quite damaging. So is your hope that this is a moment in time where these arguments have prominence and they will hopefully subside over time? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that that will be the way that uh, these matters are reduced. I think the, the potency of their arguments will be diluted over time and within the communities that they start. But, but how do you do that? How do you engage with somebody around these time-consuming, spurious arguments when you've got 60 or 80 other people waiting at the back of the court for their matters to be heard. Calmly, but uh, assertively. So that, that argument has no resonance in this court. That has been tried before and uh, failed. 
So, yeah, just patiently, I suppose. Uh, and it is time consuming, but that's why the courts are there. New South Wales Local Court uh, Magistrate Mark Douglas, uh, an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you very much for speaking to The Law Report. Thank you. And that's all we have time for on this episode of The Law Report. A big thanks to producer Christina Kukolia and to technical producer Brendan O'Neill. And please, on whatever podcast platform you might have found us on, do leave us a review. It helps others find us. I'm Damien Carrick. Talk to you next time with more law. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.